0: Words it just sort of like in my brain that recognizes the symbol. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what this is talking about.
1: Yeah, I must have done the same thing. Either that Tim or neither of us were paying attention to when <laughs> we were talking. <laughs> I definitely remember the <laughs> rocket discussion,
0: but I do not remember you saying V because I, I feel like I, I probably would it. have done like, oh, real-time follow-up, yeah. you know, or real-time correction sort of thing.
2: I was going to say, well, as Tammy would say, this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank so hey everybody welcome to episode 238 of the more than just code podcast my name is tim Mitra and i am in toronto ontario and i'm joined once again by mark rubin down in san jose california hello and we also have back in seattle washington jaime lopez jr how's it going all righty so let's dig in we got some uh, a couple of fact checks from last week so and, and i was chatting with um a friend of the show steve hayman who works for a fruit company here in toronto um about the pronunciation my pronunciation of Sat- the saturn V rocket now i trying to think i was trying to think at the time i kept saying saturn v and um i said saturn v on spotcast like three or four times when i was talking about my pick from last week but and i'm just trying to, re- trying to think when did i switch from saturn 5 to saturn v
1: i don't remember you saying saturn v because i i probably would have called you on it yeah because it's not, because it's not saturn v it's saturn 5
2: no i know well actually no so so yes and no um is that the one you put in here in the ask me. Yeah, my response to that yeah you, you have a later response
0: about that
2: yeah so i, I was Chatted with Steve Heyman about it because he was he was, he and I are roughly around the same age, but but unlike me, he was actually in Florida for the launch with his father and his brother, I believe. Right, I've seen a picture that he posted on Twitter a few years ago. But yeah, so he, he you know from a credibility point of view, Steve was there. Um, unfortunately, he missed seeing the, the IMAX he was lamenting. But anyway, um, yeah, Saturn Five, Saturn V. I can't remember. I think I probably did say Saturn Five when I was a kid. But I was thinking that when I was like seven, I probably would have said that. But but then again, I also knew at the time that Apollo. Eleven was spelt with you know XI right and uh-huh. and you know that's pretty good for an eight year old I think right
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> to learn Roman numerals that way anyway so that was uh, that was it um, that was around forty minutes into the show last week and then a little a little bit later we were you and I were talking Mark back and forth about the um, the tweet that was posted and I did mention in the show that that um, wh- while it was confusing because the person who did the tweet said that James Burke was covering the launch of the Apollo mm-hmm. Eleven mission for yeah. BBC when in fact that was actually an episode. For from uh, Connections film that wasn't filmed in 1969. It was from Connections season one, episode eight, which is around 1978,
1: 79. So yeah, that makes a lot more sense because yeah, you know, he looked pretty identical to how I remember him looking.
2: When well, I said the show was on BBC and it's also available on DVD. I found a, I found a, a place, uh, archive.org has episodes of Connections on there. So I'll put a link in the show notes and specifically this, this episode. So yeah, I was watching a bit of that. And it's also available as Torrent, as a downloadable Torrent. So I don't know if it's, legal or whatever but you know Torrent is a decent uh Format, even though it's kind of fallen out of favor, I guess. When you ask MTJC, I guess Tommy wants me to cover these, right? So,
1: Ooh. yeah. By the way, Tim, saying Saturn V is kind of like saying iPhone X.
2: So here's here's my here's my argument to this whole thing. So I, I posted a link a little about a few hours later after I thought about it, and I went and saw, I went and looked up the pronunciation of the Roman numerals that we all like to bandy around and, and argue about, right? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that for those of you driving at home, it says in my tweet here, the V in Latin is pronounced, or the sorry, five in Latin is pronounced quinique. X is pronounced decum and XI is pronounced un, unidecum. Or so in other words, like one is like, I think it's, it's very similar to like uh, French or, or Spanish counting. like It's like uno, duo, treo, so that, tre, something like that, right? So yeah, so we've been saying uh, Mac OS 10 wrong all this time too, because it's Mac OS decum. So there you go. Well,
1: except for one small thing. We speak English. <laughs> That's speak true. Well.
2: That's true. So so is it X or is it 10? It's 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: ten. It's complicated. Yes, I, I agree with the you know we're using english on this but then we complicated it by incorporating things from other languages and then deciding arbitrarily what to do with those particular characters so tim if you actually did say saturn v i like mark don't even remember you saying that at any point so i said it like
2: three or four
0: times i feel like i mentally corrected it and didn't even notice like as if you're you know like when you're reading it i don't read it as saturn v i read it as saturn 5 but i don't like do you okay. I don't like you know pronounce that out- outwards it's just sort of like in my brain that recognizes a symbol oh yeah yeah. i know what this is talking about
1: yeah i must have done the same thing he, either that tim or neither of us were paying attention to when <laughs> <worked>. <laughs> i definitely remember the <laughs> rocket discussion
0: but i do not remember you saying v because i i feel like i probably I would know. have done like oh real-time follow-up yeah. you know or real-time corrections or of thing
2: i was gonna say well as tammy would say this podcast is over <laughs> 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 anyway if you answer her zombie questions wrong that's who she says mm. um all right Moving on. Uh, what's next? Oh, is it me again? Okay. So um, following, so I found this article interesting. I was Gizmodo article about why this password, I'm going to read it out to you so you get the gist of it. It's ji 3 2 k 7 au 4 a 83 is a remarkably common password. Like, you know, on most of these lists where people put password, password one, you know, queer T and one two three four five six as passwords, and they're, they're notoriously bad passwords. And I found this interesting, this article interesting here, and I don't know if you guys are having a look at it, at it but uh, and we've talked about this website called Have I Been Pwned before. Um, somehow I got onto it, and every now and then when, when some major site is exploited, I get an email saying that you know potentially my email address has been has been uh, leaked out and that kind of stuff. So I usually dutifully go in and change my passwords using one password and that kind of stuff. But but this particular password, this J1 JI32K7AU, right, in case wants me to describe, uh, this JI32K7, we'll just call it that password, has uh, uh, has been breached 141. Has had 100, been in 141 breaches. On have I been pwned? I don't know if you guys have read through the article yet, but it turns out that it is actually the uh, Unicode translation. Is it Unicode? Um, there's a keyboard in in um, Taiwan that uh, translates uh, from Zin Zillion or AKA Bopomofo keyboard that translates my password as these this, these characters, the Chinese characters, and the, I guess the Unicode translation is at Unicode. Come me out here. I, I yeah, you know, think so. I think. By she,
1: the what, did, what how did you pronounce that? Zillion? What was that? Uh,
2: it was, I don't know how to pronounce it. Z h u something like Julian. is that how you pronounce it?
1: Something like that. Yeah.
2: All right. Okay. Anywho, yeah. So coming back to this, the 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 character that that's the M, the character that's the Y, the character that stands for pass, and the character that stands for word translates out into J I three two K seven A U for a and that's why that particular episode, like it's like typing my password yeah in. that's
1: that's pretty interesting so since you told us not to read the article before the show uh, sure. I was I was looking at the characters and trying to look at it on the keyboard to see if it you know if there's some pattern or something like that and and I couldn't find anything uh, but yeah this makes a lot of sense this is pretty interesting well
2: there's a picture in the in the show notes of like an apple keyboard within this uh how would you say Julian keyboard Julian,
1: something like that yeah Julian. Yeah, it's like
2: an apple keyboard with 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 the characters and I guess in the in normal Normally in the keyboard, you have a single letter, but in this case here, they have um, like a, I guess a shift and a caps lock kind of a character, right? So, so each little, each character, each key on the key character keyboard represents three different characters, I guess, depending on how you, how you glam down the keys, right? So you can, I guess, quickly enter um, kanji text or whatever it is, right? I'm there you go. curious as to
0: whether this same technique would work for other similar, I think this is called input method editor type languages where mm-hmm. you're trying to use a QWERTY keyboard to input into other languages so uh japanese comes to mind as a real obvious one that like oh what what would this look like in in japanese or um hey uh, not for this particular keyboard but with a very similar one for uh like hindi or you know pick any language that might use a qwerty keyboard as like the base standard with the extra characters to do the input method editing stuff i kind of wonder if this is like a much broader problem or if this is somehow specific culturally here because i thought it was going to say you know password (laughs) not my password So I oh, was really? pretty okay.
2: close. Yeah, you were really close. You just took the the my off the front, and then you'd end up with the uh, au four a three. But then that's too short a password for most uh, sites, right? Yeah,
0: that's true. One two three four,
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> or one two three four five or something. Yeah, or just to, to use the number the digit one in front as well. Anyway, yeah, that's it. I, just, I was yeah. looking here on the article to see if they talked about what type of keyboard it is, as you were saying, right? Would you call it again, Jaime? Mean? I think it's IME Input Method Editor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's the first story. I, we talked about this last year, the Tyob Index. Um, this is the popularity of various languages. Uh, so it's a company, a software company called, uh, I guess they, they do statistics of some type, and they, they collect uh, information on what, what uh, languages are trending. And we looked at this last year, and, uh, you know, Java obviously is the number one app, number one language, C is the second, and Python is the third. Interestingly enough, though, Objective-C is rising up, has risen up four points to, to uh, end up in the uh, tenth position, as as opposed to the 14th where it was last year. And Swift has dropped down to 17. So that's interesting. Ruby's uh, come down a bit too as well. That is kind of surprising.
0: I'm very unclear what the reason for that would be. I don't know of any uh, sudden backlash or renaissance regarding Objective-C.
2: Yeah, no, neither do I. Neither do I. Yeah, no, I was just listening to um, uh, uh, Swift by Sundell episode 42. He had the uh, the manager of the Swift project. I've forgotten his name now. Ted something. You guys know off the he- top of your head? Anyway, he was talking they asked him the question, like, how much Swift is. Being used in Apple's apps, and he said quite a bit. I mean, there's so many now that he's forgotten how many places it's been used in. Like most of the iWork apps are written written in Swift, and a lot of uh, a lot of frameworks and things like that. And in, in the OS's are now written in Swift as well. So, I mean, Objective C is still around, but I don't see it. Uh, you know, we still use it, but I can't imagine that it uh, why, it would, why it would have a resurgence like. Yeah, this I wonder what it. the
1: error bars on on these indices are. They which error bars? What's the okay. see how accurate are these numbers? Plus or minus? You know, if these are all plus or minus a half percent and yeah that could change things pretty drastically
0: well here here's baseless speculation okay so it says the ratings are based on the number of skilled engineers worldwide courses and third-party vendors i'm going to pick on courses and say what if there's suddenly like a large uptake in courses for like oh we have all these people who started with swift but they don't know objective c so we need to get them trained up so that they can come out of um like coding boot camps and other sort of uh started with swift environments and be productive in our mixed base uh, app or maybe we just have an objective-c app like you get what I'm saying we're like you know Swift was increasing and then it's like objective C was dying and then suddenly holy smokes like we need we, we go go create some Udacity and udemy and all these other places courses mm. to do objective-c you know 101 for Swift programmers
2: yeah I don't think so I think that like you know two years ago if you went to a boot camp they would they would teach you objective-c and a little bit of Swift right but I, I'm pretty sure that nowadays the the, the boot camps are, are focusing on Swift right well that's what I'm uh, saying like, it, so
0: so now you've got uh, you know, brand new people who have started with Swift. But the reality for a lot of businesses is that even if they want to do Swift, they still have legacy code that is either never going to be migrated or will take time to migrate. And they still want their developers to be productive. So maybe there's like suddenly an uptick in courses related to Objective-C to cover that gap.
2: Maybe it's all the refactoring that you have to do. We have to go figure out what's going on in Objective-C. But if you scroll down to the Programming Language Hall of Fame, which is the number one languages for every year, So like I said, this year, 20 or last year, 2018, Python came out on top. 2017, C came up on top in 2012 and 2011. Objective C came out as the number one application language. I should say the The highest rising ratings in a
0: year. Swift comes out in 2014. So
2: we see iPad. So like a year after iPad. um. 2014 is when, when Swift came out, right? So So
1: this is the highest rate rise in ratings. It's not the highest ratings,
2: right? So biggest percentage change. So that
1: makes sense in 2011, 2012, it makes sense because that's kind of when the iPhone really, you know, really off, yeah. strong, right? So everybody wanted to learn Objective-C. So that's not that's not too surprising.
2: The other thing too is if you go back to the chart we were just talking about and you click on the line that says Objective-C, it takes you into a detailed view of Objective-C. And you can see that um, uh, if you look at the curve, right, from starting from like 2009 or so when it started to show up to where we are today, it's it, if this was a stock, you wouldn't invest in it because it, like, it was really high in 20, 2014, you know. Uh, and then' it's, it's just tra- trailing along right now so yeah,
1: yeah looking at looking at it from this point of view i, I, I sort of question how statistically st- uh, significant these numbers are because if you look at you know from 2016 to 2018 that's just kind of bouncing around
2: yeah 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 and like so, it, it, it certainly had a fall from what 2014 april 10th 2014th to yeah uh, it dropped like you know a ton right yeah like you would you would pitch that stock if it did that
1: <laughs> right right so yeah so i'm not sure that you can really make a claim that, you know, the the 1.681%, which is the very last value versus the, you know, even the 0.939% from six months earlier is is really a, a real change as opposed to just a fluctuation.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus this is sort of every developer in the world using this stuff too, right? So yeah, and the, I think the bloom is off the rose as far as uh, maybe it's off the rose in terms of iOS development specifically, right? Well,
1: uh, maybe so, yeah.
2: There's probably a lot more, you know, Java-based and Kotlin will be coming up at some point in the future too, right? Yeah, Kotlin. Kotlin makes think, an appearance yeah. in the
1: certainly, certainly. there's fewer people out there who are deciding they're going to get rich by writing an app. And you
2: know. <laughs> that's true.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Kotlin shows up in the second fifty as number thirty-nine. Right. Right. On this, um, you can't drill into it though. Russ is at thirty-five. Yeah, some of these that are falling makes sense, and then the, the risers. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Maybe next time we'll see this in you know closer to the end of the year and see if if things have changed. Well, it's something to look at and see, you know, longer term trends. Maybe it's, yeah, Jim Marks might be, maybe it's just a weird statistical oddity this particular month.
2: Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just have to see where we end up next year. I think we talked about this last year, which is why I put this in, in the uh, follow up. All right. Because Greg usually's on this show, and he would go crazy on these kind of numbers, right? <laughs> anyway, so Jaime, you have a link here next? Showtime? Yeah. The event invites went out from
0: Apple, the invite for the Steve Jobs Theater, saying, It's Showtime. And to please join us for an Apple special event at the Steve Jobs Theater in Cupertino, March 25th, 2019, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll see. The, the strong rumors, particularly given the hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, that it's Showtime, is that uh, we believe it to be the launch of the, or at least the announcement, if not the launch of the streaming TV service. A lot of folks believe it's also the news subscription service. And there's a sort of a dark horse hope that perhaps some new iPads, uh, probably the iPad mini upgrades, I think we talked about uh, a few episodes ago and some other minor adjustments are
1: possible subjects. Or maybe Apple's acquiring the the TV network Showtime. (laughs) That would be (laughs) hilarious.
2: (laughs) Well, the last time they used this time thing was to announce the, the Apple TV. I think the last front time around, I think is what they said. But yeah, and it, you know, and and the, the even darker horses are the are the, the large six um, K display, and uh, it was an iMac or an iMac Pro that was rumored at some point. So I was talking to somebody about that yesterday at the meetup. Um, but yeah, so who knows? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, definitely, we think that they're like things like they're talking about, you know, rebooting Steven Spielberg's amazing stories, and their La La Land is going to be on there, and. A new Battlestar Galactica, something to do with space, Deep Space Nine. That's because of showrunner Ronald, Ronald D. Moore, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, an even disturbing one, a remake of um, Time Bandits, which I'm not pleased about. Why?
0: <laughs> I know this is going to end up getting covered on Spotcast, but can you give me? Yes. I saw that Too in the show notes for
2: Spodcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a semi cross promotion, but also like I saw this while peeking at, at the show notes. Yeah,
2: or yeah, or um, my, I think my comment was, "Oh God, no!" Or yeah, like that.
0: I'm like, w- w- "What do you think will happen exactly?" Like, I know reboots and remakes don't always go well, but what what has you so afraid of the of the uh, this reboot here?
2: Oh, Time Bandits is such an amazing movie, and I just I finally got to see it in the th- in the theater um, last year when it, when it was played at the TIFF Lightbox, right? But because I've only ever seen it on on uh, VHS and on Blu-ray, right? But I'd never actually seen it on the big screen. It's such a I mean, Terry Gilliam is such a amazing director, one of my favorite directors, right? And he's all there's so much stuff to look at in every frame that he shoots, right? So I don't know. I mean it's just it's kind of like you know it's like remaking the last supper by da vinci right you know it's a it's, it's such it's almost a masterpiece that movie right
0: okay yeah I, I, I can so, see that so. i was thinking that perhaps there was some particular thing i was unaware of, like you know michael bay is attached as the director or some hilarious you know complete no it's nothing like
2: that it's just it's just taking the idea and and I'm, i i don't even know if he wrote the original uh original thing now that i think about it time bennett's right because he was building towards making his movie brazil with all the movies he made in the early days right but um mm. brazil is again another another amount. I saw Brazil. Like, they, they showed them back-to-back. They showed Time Bandits one night and then Brazil the next night. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, if you ever get a chance to see the, either one of those two in the, in the the on the big screen, definitely go. It's my advice. Yeah, so it just it worries me that, that, you know... I mean, I'll probably watch whatever it is they end up making out of it, but, you know, it's kind of like remaking Star Wars, which I wish they would stop doing. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, I mean, I love the whole Star Wars universe, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they don't have to keep making the same movie over and over again.
1: True. And getting worse every time. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: well, yeah. I mean, I I did enjoy what was the uh, what was the one with um, Ray and uh, Finn. Two possibilities.
0: I'm guessing you're going with the Force Awakens.
2: Yeah, the Force Awakens is you know is sort of a retelling of of the Star Wars story, right? So a lot of a lot of repeated um, things, hooks, and whatever we call them, themes in the in that show in that movie. Anyway, so who knows what they're going to do with the next one, right? It's Star Wars nine, that is.
0: Right. So with with this, uh, sort of bringing back to the streaming TV thing, I'm kind of wonder. I kind of wonder if we will get um, some sort of interesting interactions for developers to help build upon the streaming Mm. TV service or the new subscriptions. Um, I think I've mentioned in previous years that, you know, yeah, you know, there's some okay-ish integrations with um, Apple Music that you can do, but I really wish you could do you know more interesting things like, you know, okay, yes, Apple does have apps that, that you do playlists and some recommendation stuff, but why would it hurt to let us as developers create, like, hey, you know, I'm as watch all the stuff app is is the best premier way to get the best out of your uh, Apple Music subscription, streaming TV subscription or news subscription thing. You know, get just just see what happens. You know, create some some APIs for us to be able to create playlists and maybe some recommendations like, "Oh, it looks like you enjoyed this thing by Ronald D Moore. Maybe you would like to like watch this other thing that's on Apple TV."
2: Or even better, like to do on Netflix let you look up a movie that they can't show you because they don't have the rights to it. I raises an interesting question what you just said there something that's popped into my mind that I've been meaning to ask, and that is this. Do you think that the Apple movie TV screening service... Will it be bundled into Apple Music, or will it be an additional service on top? Additional, yeah, yeah. I and I would bet that either one will individually cost you
0: nine ninety nine a month U.S. But combined, maybe you get a sweetheart deal like fifteen dollars, so fourteen ninety nine or fourteen ninety
2: nine. Yeah. yeah. Like a, oh, or what about for families and stuff
0: like that? I don't know the. Do you know the pricing for family stuff for like Apple Music just to use it as
2: a as a brand? Yeah, of? it's fourteen ninety nine. So it's an additional five dollars. <laughs> I think I think it's nine ninety nine and fourteen ninety nine something like that because I, I just signed up for it recently but um finally after all these years but um and but but the comp- compare that to netflix where you pay one price but you get four different instances of it right so you can have four different members of the family uh or four is it five no, those five members of the family picking and choosing amongst their mixes right you know so you can have mom and dad can have his thing and mom can have her thing and then the, the two kids can have their their choices and then the dog gets the fifth one
0: so it's not that so if i understand what you're trying to compare so the the base relative base price of netflix where you can have yeah. you know effectively your whole well your immediate family uh logging in and using it at the same time versus the music or families option at 14.99 at let's call it 15 bucks because it's easier uh i'd have to look it up but i think the base price of netflix is up to like 12 maybe 13 dollars a month yeah now. They, well, they
2: raised it I'm, i was using yeah. the old old pricing yeah
0: so it, it's it's I like granted music versus video is not exactly a one-to-one comparison but if you add a little bit of money on top for you know just Apple takes a premium of this sort of thing.
2: Well, because the other competitors, so Prime, Amazon Prime, with that, you get stuff delivered to your house, you get to watch Amazon Prime TV, and you also get Amazon Music, right? All for the same same price.
0: Yeah. And they do have a monthly separate, like if you didn't want full Prime and you want it just Prime Music or you want it just Prime Video, they do have different offerings for that. The,
2: oh, do they? I don't oh. remember
0: what the prices are, but spitballing on, okay, $10 a month for Apple Music or $10 a month for Apple Apple, um apple TV service or combine the two for fifteen dollars and i assume the family price would still be an additional five dollars and maybe even you get a double bonus there if like instead of five dollars for music and five dollars for TV maybe they're just like whatever and five dollars extra for you know family eyes family size all my services that marginal yeah. cost is like not not hugely worth it especially if like well if you want your family to watch all this stuff maybe you should go buy some new iPads and give us <laughs> some money there yeah. buying some more stuff and then they're like no I don't want to share the same account with you or I don't want to have stuff. I'm going to buy my own service and blah, 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 you know. what's your stuff touching my stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. People go, you know, get twitchy about that stuff. So, so, so maybe, maybe we'll definitely have to see how the pricing works. I think what's interesting to me is where in the world does the news service fit and, and what will people mm. feel like paying for independently versus, you know, buying it as like, oh yeah, just, just add it on to my, my supersized subscription for Apple television. Well, the the and texture music.
2: thing was you paid so much for. For each magazine, you didn't get you didn't get every magazine for free. It wasn't like the Netflix Netflix model in that sense. But but here, here's where I want to, uh, next question qu- thing I want to go next thought I want to go down, and that is um, we always talk about Apple leading from behind, right? So we've got Amazon, we've got Netflix, we've got Crave in Canada. You probably you've got Disney and you got um, CBS All Access, right? As paid for you know TV download streaming or whatever you call it, right? How is Apple going to differentiate themselves from other people other than the fact that they're just going to be shiny and have an Apple on it, right? But how are they going to dis- differentiate themselves what what's the secret sauce going to be why are people going to want to switch over to Apple or add Apple to their their stable
1: well cuz it'll be integrated with the hardware and everything yeah nicely on all the apps
2: but i have i have netflix platform. and i have prime and i have Crave, and I have Bell Five TV on my iPad, and I have it on my Apple TV. I'm not sure
0: that there's. So even if there are some extra areas of technical integration that I'm that I'm missing, that um, mm, sure. that would be possible. Kind of in Mark's direction of oh, like no, seamless,
2: no, stuff. no following, no no tracking, all that kind of stuff that Apple promises not to do, right? Um, and,
1: but, but yeah, I do suspect it'll it'll be something like the way Netflix does it with by providing original content.
2: Yeah, we know they're producing shows. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know that there will
0: be. A, like huge technical uh, or even necessarily user experience advantage. I think you guys nailed it on the head. I think it's going to be um, since Apple has been focusing, uh, reportedly focusing on like extreme family friendly content. And that's not to say because I think it has been reported. I don't think it necessarily means oh it's all you know Muppets and Barney. I, I think that just means look they're not they're not going to put a lot of sex and violence right up front. So if you're uh, a budding family and you are concerned about that sort of thing, I think they might say look look how easy it is. To to get started, it's all integrated into your, you know, payment that you're already making to Apple uh, for whatever sorts of things that you're buying, and we can make real darn sure that we will have high quality content that you're not just going to walk in and see your five year old watching terrible things that you don't want them to see, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, yes, there are like kids accounts for like Netflix and stuff, but there's no like password behind them, um, at least not by default. You know, this could be like, oh, uh, it doesn't. It only goes into mature mode if you have unlocked. You know, using continuity on your iPhone or something,
2: right? Right. Well, do the Netflix children accounts like are they are they just not accounts like regular accounts that just have a fine a goofy face on them, or are they actually are they actually like got an age limit on them or something?
0: I, I haven't checked to see if there's like some sort of like more configurability options here. Um, I've only seen it on my Roku, so I haven't seen it. You know, like on Apple TV and other devices, see how it differs. But it looks like it's largely a when you go into the kids account, it reduces the available content to being just. You know, a general audiences type stuff, G rated type stuff, and I think importantly, it doesn't. It, it separates the algorithm data set so that like, right, oh, yeah, your your yeah. kids watching, you know, Frozen for the eleventh time doesn't override your preferences for like what new shows you will get recommended.
2: Right, right. Well, it's interesting though because if you think about it, right, um, the Apple TV is a single user account, the iPad is a single user account, so is iOS. Right, the Mac is the only uh, operating system. Where you can have multiple accounts right now, right? So that's another challenge that Apple. Well, I mean, unless they model it the same way that Netflix has done it, right? You know, to have, uh, hopefully, you don't have to get Apple IDs for every member of your family, which I guess you ha- kind of have to do now with with the family plans, right? Yeah, interesting to see how they're going to handle multi multiple users. All right, let's let's move on because we're just speculating. What's the next one there, Jaime?
0: Huh, yeah, you know, this one is a blog post by um, Corbin Dunn, Redwood Monkey. Uh, apparently, he's a formal, former Apple employee, and it's entitled "The Sad State of Logging." bugs for apple and his sort of uh revealing of more or less the processes and motivations that go behind the file radar and give us the sys trace sort of stuff i thought it was interesting from a perspective of like reading and sort of seeing well what is it that actually goes into this it may be even a little bit of on the one hand sympathy for like yeah you know if you're being hammered with a yearly release i probably wouldn't focus on bugs all that much either if i wasn't prioritized on it but on the other hand thinking well they do have a lot of money so maybe they could just hire some more developers <laughs> who can triage those things like i i feel like there are many feelings i have towards this and i don't really have like a, a consistent viewpoint on it
2: yeah i don't know i mean it's funny because i've i've heard managers who are involved in in this kind of work at apple say that that the radars do get read and is this bug reports or radars i don't is it the same thing same thing yeah i think so yeah so yeah the bug reporter right and i mean this this story is obviously one perspective and it and it's sort of i've seen a lot of chatter about it over the over the last week, but uh, or last couple of days, about the fact that you know, like from what they're saying, is that internally people don't like to get involved in bugs because it steals away from their, their required work that they have to do. Um, but so I, I don't know, it's it's kind of a I, I know when we handle bugs, when I handle bugs independently, or when I handle them in, in large teams, they get handled. I mean, you know, because it's like that's part of the part of the job. Um, you know, somebody opens a ticket and it has to get addressed by maybe Apple's such a large organization with a l- large number of developers that things can slip through the cracks but the story seems to give the impression that you know many many stories go through uh, and as unscreened in other words nobody's looked at them or nobody's admitted to looking at them right like you know you can you can open up a PR or you can open a, a bug report um, and and slowly back away if it's something that you know you see as a <laughs> something that might require a lot of a lot of effort right that may be a tendency that people might have when looking at these things but um, I think that this a story like this has probably got a bunch of managers at Apple currently Going, what the heck, right? How is this? How is this happening?
1: Yeah, I, really, you think this would be a surprise for people at Apple?
2: Um, well, it sounds like it's not, according to the the author, right?
1: Yeah, I, I doubt it is a surprise. Yeah,
2: but I guess it depends on when when the mandate, what the mandate is. I mean, you know, and I, I suppose it's different for us because, like, you know, I'm dealing with an app that that people use every day and they rely on it for obviously financial reasons. And so does so does Jaime, right? But um, but if it's like you know a chess game, like a chess app or whatever, or in a Ability to print or whatever, does that necessarily get, uh, you know, top priority attention, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you think somebody's triaging these bugs. It sounds like they're not, right?
0: Yeah, it, I was a little surprised by the inconsistency. It, it sort of implied to me that it sort of depended on the personality of the group and the makeup of the, the group and organizations uh, within Apple. But kind of comparing to what you see in, like, some other companies, like, like I'm going to pick on Google as being the most um, serious offender in this area, where what you measure is and what you prioritize is what gets done. And what I'm surmising here from this article is that Apple puts a larger organizationally puts a larger emphasis on uh, new feature work in less on uh, squashing bugs and other things. Um And I think that's why every once in a while they have like a, a grant, okay, this is like a quality release sort of thing. But the sort of like extreme version of that is Google where just from chatting with people who have worked there and looking at other articles, they in their sort of reward system, where the rewards is, you know, additional stock or promotions or even just prestige as, as being a, a, a sort of virtual currency. Its organization culture so heavily emphasizes shipping. This is why you see Google come out with like a new chat app every year, (laughs) almost like People are like, what the hell? Why do they have yet another one? Oh, oh, this other one died. Nobody was using it because it had tremendous bugs. Because there is no emphasis. Like, you are not going to get promoted for making something rock solid. You know, after it had a shaky, you know, minimum viable product start, you are going to get noticed because hey, Lopez was the one who shipped. You know, Google Chatty, and I think that's that's sort of what I am reading between the lines here. That um, hopefully there are folks at Apple who are reading this and might say, you know what, we're going to change this. And um, yes, we do need new feature work and. Obviously, we need you know new shiny to sell new phones and subscription services and stuff. But maybe we can make sure that it's not too out of whack where people start you know wondering like, yeah, why would I even bother looking at bugs? Nobody's nobody's tracking me on that. Every bit of time I'm spending on bugs is time that I'm not spending on things that will benefit um, me or benefit what the company seems to be focusing on.
2: Yeah, or benefit me in terms of like my getting getting my my points in for what I'm working on, right? Because yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, nobody you know. Keynote and maybe platform state of the union, notwithstanding, nobody gets up on the WWDC stage in one of the sessions is like, guess what? Here's these bugs I've fixed, right?
2: Yeah, or or let's go to the bug report. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let me, maybe one last thing I'll say about this is I, I think it can really come down to also the kinds of developers that you're looking to hire. Um, In my career, I have seen like two different stereotypes that are sort of polar opposites of each other. And granted, these are like very broad stereotypes, but I've seen folks who really just want to work on the latest and greatest bleeding edge, moving fast, breaking things sort of stuff. And that's really what they want to do. And they, they really like shipping, 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 get stuff out the door. Oh, is it kind of half broken? That's okay. Well, We'll, you know, we'll get it the next time. But I've also seen folks who really prefer more the software maintenance and craft of software side of things where they really enjoy the, you know what, with a little bit of tender care and love, this could be great sort of thing. And who will take like, yeah, I, I don't really want to necessarily be involved in a lot of uh, brand new user experience and business and other stuff, but I really want to make this part, my little neck of the woods, rock solid. And then those are the kind of people who are going to be sort of your, your solid baseline as a uh, counterbalancing factor for the folks generating tons of new stuff. I, I feel like there's a way to hire the kinds of developers who really like the, you know, I'm going to make this into a wonderful, pristine, and elegant thing, even if externally it doesn't appear to be any
2: different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like fixing things that are broken, but, you know, I guess I'm unique that way. <laughs> hard to answer that one. All right. So I saw this the other day and, and, okay, it's coming from the Business Insider, so I'm taking it with a grain of salt, but it's, the the headline is, here's how Apple's long-rumored smart glasses will work according to a reliable Apple analyst, Ming-Chi Quo, when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. But this part about the long-rumored smart glasses, we've been on this show for four years. Have we ever talked about Apple producing a smart
1: glasses? I don't think so. We ridiculed Google Glass a lot. Yeah, several times. (laughs) Yes,
2: exactly. It's coming back apparently, but I thought we had yeah. like I thought we had mentioned it, probably
0: not too much in depth. More in the rumor of oh they're doing something in this area
2: in this space, yeah, yeah.
0: But I don't think anything too in depth, which is probably why neither one of you is is remembering it. It was more of a out of ten new items we talked about. This was one of them on some random week on some random episode,
2: yeah, like a line on a post, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course the article goes on to compare you know uh, Apple, you know Google's uh, VR headsets, and Microsoft has the whole. Lens which we have talked about a few times, and this other one I think we talked about Magic Leap well, uh, just one time in, in one of the shows. They they were a product that came out with a, a VR headset as well, right, or an AR headset, which is one. That, which is this?
0: I thought it was an AR headset, but I could. Be, yeah, you know what the glasses look like. You can look through them, so I think it is an AR yeah. headset.
2: Yeah. So apparently, after multiple reports it that suggested Apple is readying a reality headset, now so back in 2017, Bloomberg reported it. There Well,
1: as we said, Ming Chi Kuo is pretty reliable. Uh, uh, historically
2: mm-hmm, uh,
1: reliable. Mm-hmm. so we will see it's yeah. it's also not too surprising what they're saying in the article that that it's going to depend very heavily on the iphone so we'll, you'll need yeah, it.
2: true, true, it
1: makes really sense it's, especially given how they rolled the watch out initially you know you had to have an iphone it's just an accessory to the iphone this would start off at least start off that way if I maybe mean, maybe forever will be that way
2: but for example you guys don't wear glasses right or maybe you wear, wear i you do, glasses? i wear
1: reading glasses or, right
2: but so would you go out and buy a pair of glasses for like five or six hundred bucks or even a thousand dollars that had this kind of feature built into it
1: i probably would not
2: and you don't have a watch currently do you nope so <laughs> i i mean i
0: wear contact lenses normally but uh will wear glasses from time to time uh i'm just not, i'm not even gonna lie for vanity reasons i rarely wear glasses Outside the home, but but I'm also the kind of person who probably would throw down the uh, the 500 bucks to try out these sorts of things and see what's possible. That's sort of what I ended up doing with the watch. I've continued to live with the watch as a um, an accessory and not a necessity. I think I mentioned one time that uh, you know my Apple Watch fell into the river. It might be like a few weeks to a month before I replaced it. Unlike my mm-hmm. iPhone, which I would immediately replace that day if I could. Um, these I could see if they have some killer sort of features and functionality like here in this to sort of make this easier for those of you driving at home to visualize they're showing uh, an artist's concept for well what could that look like if you were looking through a pair of these glasses and like oh maggie has an incoming phone call like all right i mean i've got enough of a watch i kind of know when a phone call is coming in but what i would really like having just had my adventure outside of the us of a um augmented reality maps or even just a compass mm-hmm. without having to pull out my phone or pull out my watch and look to see where i'm going would be really nice i mean i that's that's one i can imagine you know draw an ar line on the ground kind of like that is it like fidelity who, who is it that has the you've probably seen the commercial right where they have the fidelity oh, yeah, like yeah, green yeah. arrow on the ground showing you your, your path to retirements um <laughs> hashtag not an <laughs> ad. i'm not related that the to that path to the x-ray area yeah. uh, but just you know something like you know, showing an arrow of like go this way and then turn right turn left oops you went the wrong way you know make a u-turn i think that could be pretty useful as like the first um the first basic utility sort of thing that you could have you would need yeah, some iPhone. sort of heads-up
2: display would be kind of cool but but then maybe also distracting too right I don't know yeah I mean, you're I, like I,
0: you're trying to see you know I don't know the latest mm. menu on some cool food truck and then Burt, Sally has sent you an iMessage like no <laughs> I'm trying to text. stop putting text over my face you know that's that's gonna be a hard one I think
2: yeah I've dropped a few bucks on on eyeglasses just regular eyeglasses over time and um yeah I don't know I, kicking up another doubling the price of the glasses or whatever to have uh, apple in my face i don't know i think i'll go with mark on this one unless of course i was developing um yeah i mean
0: I, this is kind of a silly artist conception but like i don't think i need to see battery life <laughs> in front of my eyes at all yeah, time yeah. Or yeah. wi-fi strength yeah, yeah maybe the clock i think that should be like an option you know i could see people yeah. wondering like what time is it without having to pull out their watch or their phone i get yeah. that one but wi-fi connectivity strength seems like not such a great one yeah diagnostic mode perhaps of like what's going on <laughs> why is my why are my glasses not showing me interesting stuff? Mm-hmm.
2: All right. So uh, our next story, uh, this came via Marin Todorov, actually. He posted this to us uh, that he saw an article on changes to US tax laws. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to Yeah, I did. Uh, It's it's
1: unclear how this will affect iOS developers, at least, uh, since we don't sell directly to customers, consumers. Apple does the selling directly to consumers. So in theory, they would have to charge the sales tax.
2: Yeah, I think he was talking more about um, developers that sell directly to clients, right? Like not through the app, because Apple would. If this was the case, Apple would collect the tax for us right, and submit right. it, and which they, they do with our our state, our our federal tax, or HST it's called.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like for app store purchases and app purchases and subscriptions and stuff, that totally makes sense. Um, when you have like a pay with PayPal sort of option that doesn't go through the app store for some sort of like buy our T-shirts sort of thing, right? Yeah. I feel like that might be the case that it might end up impacting. Developers, but then I kind of wonder if the people doing the payment processing, like a Stripe or a PayPal, I wonder if they'll end up covering that sort of thing. But it is something to know about.
2: I was going to say this article is written by Paddle, which I believe is a uh, company that handles payments for people, right? you with Paddle? Paddle for Mac, Paddle for Windows, Paddle for Software as a Service. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. just something for people to be aware of, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I guess that, well, actually, they do address this. Sorry, I, had, I did not have time to read this one before the, before the show, but it does seem like, yeah, you know, the old moratorium on on, um, internet sales taxes and other things within the U S of a, uh, was based on Supreme court precedent from 1992, 27 years ago. And it was sort of a, you know, try not to a long time ago. Yeah. Trying to squash this, this growing thing, but now online sales are just a reality and are just a part of normal day-to-day life for e-commerce. So, um, adding the taxation stuff back in does make sense to me and removing the weird stuff of like, well, only if that company happens to have some sort of business operating in your state, which for a very long time meant, you know, if you were lucky enough to live in particular states that Amazon did not have a warehouse in, then you weren't subject to the tax. But I think, practically speaking, probably all 50 states have at least one distribution warehouse somewhere. So it, if nothing else, it seems to just sort of close the, the loop on an old um, intermediary state for taxation online.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, back in the 90s, you probably still have a lot of things delivered by CD or so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or DVD. yeah, Tangible goods. All right. The next story here is, uh, we. I think we talked, I don't know if we talked about it in the, in, before we started recording or whatever, or just in our run up here, um, but I pasted in here basically that Apple has bought recently, or just bought like within the last couple of days, a company called Laserlike, which is an AI startup focused on, focusing on news topics. And this is a brief little uh, article here, uh, more like a headline kind of thing, you know, that um, the, for, the, the company is headed up by uh, uh, Google, former Google, John... Andrea uh and um yeah just you know another acquisition
1: nothing really sticks out i don't i'm not familiar with the company uh don't know really what they do i haven't used their app so can't say too much about it but it's you know it's consistent with everything apple's been doing lately so it makes a lot of sense
2: mm-hmm. let me
0: i was looking at the article to figure out if this was covering personalization which it appears it does or the alternative that came to mind with machine learning was um doing like machine-based summaries or collation of data right so i it's think was it back in 2011 2012 probably there was a startup in seattle called wavy w-a-v-i-i not roman numerals Mm -hmm. um (laughs) are you sure i'm I'm pretty sure but now i have now i have doubts Um, They were working on something that would try to create sort of condensed versions of news where you could see like almost like a node of news. It could be like, oh, it noticed that People Magazine and TMZ and the New York Times are all talking about, I think at the time it was like Whitney Houston's death, for example. Um, This unfortunate event, but just like show you, you know, collect all that, collect it as sort of a here is a topic. And then you can you know filter down to the actual Mm -hmm. sources that that came from but they would give you a sort of a summary of what had just happened. And from what I recall, I think they were acquired by Google not long after, like 2013, 2014, probably. So that's why I was wondering, just by very long aside, saying, oh, I wonder if this AI company was doing personalization or if it was doing automated summaries, both of which I think will be pretty important topics going forward.
2: Right, right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we're at the picks portion of the show, Picorama. So um, how many do you have any picks? I do.
0: I have one on safely supporting new versions of Swift by Allen, an iOS software engineer at Uber, and in that he talks about uh, sort of the three different ways that you can sort of handle having uh, new versions of Swift come out. Uh, he says, like, the first way, I'll just read the read the main titles of each of these sections, like, the first way, in one big go, where you say, alright, we have some quiet time, Swift, you know, X plus one has come out, time to just bite the bullet, run the migrator, fix whatever it is that it didn't automatically migrate, and then move on. That's sort of like the painful way of doing it, as he points out, only kind of works if you're in a small team or your code base is manageable enough where you can deal with that Um, and it's something you can review in a handful or maybe even just a single pull request Uh, the second way using conditional compilation certainly seen that too um, Mm -hmm. where you know you know if your swift version is a particular one do this one thing otherwise use this other version Uh, i've even seen it nested a couple times where there were unfortunate differences between minor versions of swift or step number three or sorry the third way using multiple swift versions at a time and that's by using the, the trick of having things in small compartmentalized modules. And then each module can then set the version of Swift that it is compiled with. Mm, I see. Yeah. I don't think I've had much, if any, experience with this third way. I was actually kind of curious what you guys thought and if you had any I experience don't. with that.
1: I have to admit, I usually do. Number one, it's when I...
0: <laughs> it feels like the, yeah. the easiest way. You don't have to have the mental overhead of like, oh crap. If it's, you know, in his example, if Swift greater than equal four two to otherwise do this other thing.
2: Yeah, we've, I've also used multiple copies of Xcode too mm-hmm. in, as we yeah. transition, you know. Um, but there's also the toolchain way you can, which I think is what the third one is talking about, where you can have, you know, like you could, you could load up the Swiss 5, Swift 5 toolchain and then switch over. Um, but I guess it would be by project, and this is just a way of separating it out by, um, and you can use the if available or add available tags. You know, you can do that for whether or not you're running a specific OS or not. Like in, this, in the case of iOS, 11 versus iOS 12.
1: They both have different versions of Swift running in them, right? If there okay. are syntax changes, that it won't build if you do that. But if you like, even if you use these if statements kind of things, or no? Well, if you use number two, it will, uh, but not if you use that available or pound availables.
2: Well, so this is similar to the way we used to do it in Electroject to see with the pound if and the pound if right, you know, right, and the right. end if, right? Oh, and you could, yeah, you set a condition and and if, so This so the compiler right, with, doesn't even look at right, the right. case where it's outside? With compiler oh, okay.
1: pre-directed, pre, you know, uh, macros or whatever that you can do it. Right, right, Mm
2: right. Done that before between iOS 6 Mm -hmm. and iOS 7.
1: Yeah, and I think,
0: Tim, to round out the thought you had on the tool chain, I think you could do, like in their example, they have like, oh, here's code that was in module A compiled in Swift 4.2 mode, and then module B compiled in Swift 5.0 mode. Uh, That would only be possible if you were, you know, switching to the new tool chain, which is then backwards compatible to compile and accept the uh, dash Swift dash version that uh, Swift team gave us in 2017 as a compiler flag yeah I haven't really used that one I'm very curious if there are anybody out there listening and in, the, in the audience you know hit us up on Twitter hashtag AskMTJC. what are you what are your thoughts you, which of these three ways have you used Do you have preferences what are the you yeah. know project realities if you can tell us around uh, those particular decisions mm-hmm.
2: yeah all right um my pick is, my first pick is kind of an interesting one I saw this on the on the streetcar this morning um a couple of tweets three tweets from Jason Kent uh, and I'm not sure when this took place but apparently uh, um, a gentleman from Google was uh, being questioned by I guess, what is this? What com- Congress, I guess? Um, or Judiciary Committee, whatever that is. Uh, and I guess a Senator Hawley uh, was asking questions of Google and they were talking about, he was talking about the fact that a user can turn off location services on Android and yet Google will still continue to record the person's mm. user location. I don't know if you guys have seen these three, but um, the the best line in and the third the third video is pretty much the one where the, the senator owns the Google guy. But um at one point he talks about this it's kinda of like that, you know, Eagles song, you can check out any you like but you can never leave. <laughs> so about the fact that you know you you can turn off location, but no matter what you do, you're you know, every four every four minutes the device is still gonna kinda of contact Google. And the the gentleman was talking about how, you know, it's designed that way so you can they can route their phone calls to you or figure out where your location is and he's like you just said, you know, you can turn off the location, and yet you're still tracking location. So, so, if you have a minute, take a look at take a look at these two videos. Yeah, the whole idea of them building profiles on on people and stuff like that. I guess is the, and the fact that people don't opt into this, and they they think that the products are free. But in, his point is that they're not really free because you're they build a profile on you, and then they turn around and sell that to their advertisers and stuff. like yeah, that.
1: Yeah. yeah. People complain about Apple products being expensive, but you know, what? in in terms of real cost, I think you you're, you're spending a lot. You're giving a lot more to Google and Facebook than you are to Apple. Apple.
2: yeah for sure for sure it yeah. certainly
0: strikes me that you know it's a it probably something very similar to gdpr the general data protection regulations that are in the european union at some point in the united states and and possibly elsewhere and this seems like one of those first steps towards that movement happening i think
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean yeah you know, you, yeah you could you could argue both sides of this this story you could see i could sort of see part of what google is saying about De Vries, this gentleman Devries. i'm not sure his first name but is saying about um you know then it's necessary for them to to know where your cell phone is for the sake of, of routing phone calls to you. But but you know not necessarily like if if I turn off my location, then you shouldn't be able to track me as I travel around the city. Like my maps should stop working admittedly because I've turned off location services, right? But uh, mm-hmm. and and while well, I do expect my phone call my phone to keep working, you know, yeah. And and on the side note here too, I'm still using uh, DuckDuckGo. Have been using it for a couple of weeks now. I do find sometimes the searches aren't quite up to par with Google. Google, but at least I know. You know rest assured that uh, I'm not being recorded every every movement I make on the web, right? True. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So, cool. And if I you know, from if I have a moment of weakness, I'll switch over to Google. And I mean, just by entering Google.com into the search, <laughs> into Safari, and, and do do that search and find out if I'm getting a good answer or not. Anyway, that's my first pick. Uh, my second pick is. Um, we, I, I think you guys we've talked about this a few times. The, the posters and and the uh, billboards around saying saying why phone and. Um, I think Apple took it on the nose a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I forgot what it was, but something to do with, with uh, well, maybe the FaceTime exploit, right, um, that that young lad reported. But uh, this is an interesting site which lists off the different ways that Apple doesn't track you. Just I guess it keeps up keeping up with this this thing. Uh, what, the first point is Apple never sells your data. Um, if you take your phone into Apple, they recycle it, uh, and they'll even recycle smartphones that aren't from Apple. They'll take them apart and recycle the bits and pieces and take them in for in uh, the whole idea behind face face ID uh, Apple doesn't store an, a copy of your image right of your face itself and then you know iOS 12 being faster on even on older phones um, as well um, Apple if I'm waiting for this animation stand <laughs> Apple lets you limit how advertising follows you so if you don't want to be tracked at all you can just go in and turn them off actually rich reminds me and you guys use Apple Mail. yes mm-hmm. sidebar here um, somebody was telling me about a preference today in Apple all right so Joe, Joe Chaplinski I think it was, was tweeting back about forth with yeah, somebody on about the on the mac uh there is a preference something about tracking you when you're when you're or turning on or not allowing people to know when you've even read their email oh read receipts oh yeah that's no it's not read receipts it's something else um load remote content and messages where's that one it's under viewing viewing yes email messages may contain images why is that one turned is that does it, does that so? Sort of stop, stop the pixel tracking and stuff like that
1: well it, it may but i mean the the, the main use for it is is to save bandwidth, right? So you don't have to, you're not downloading everything immediately.
2: Sure, right. Yeah, we're talking about under viewing. You can uncheck the load remote contact and me- content and messages. Yeah, it speeds up downloading images and stuff like that, right? But but it can also be used to track whether or not you're actually receiving the message and even opening it, right? Because it, it, yeah, it makes correct. a call to the server correct. to load that image, right? Let me just see if I can find one that's got an image in it. Or one the airline. Here's one from the airline. Oh, interesting. We should talk about this one too, shouldn't we, honey? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> From what I got an email. Got an email from from um, WestJet. There's a statement about oh. the Boeing Max aircraft.
0: Oh yeah, that sounds like good for the after show.
2: Yeah, we'll come back to that one. All right. So anyway, getting back to my what I was talking about. Apple here. Um, Apple developed a, has developed an iPhone dismantling robot, which we've talked about before. Uh, Apple fragments your your Apple Maps data when you're when you're traveling around the city. Speaking of which, and you're, <laughs> and you're using the Apple Maps and you, you map out a route. It doesn't actually record the actual route. It breaks it down into segments and keeps track of the different parts of the routes. So they don't keep tra- uh, like a full track of uh, from point A to point B where, where you're going things. So that's actually how I found this post. And as well, then there's another one, that I, uh, Apple encrypts your FaceTime calls, which I think we knew about, right? And uh, of course, you can erase, erase, using iCloud and Find My Phone, you can erase your data on your phone if you lose it uh, and without having to have the phone in your hand. Yeah, during the final assembly of an iPhone, no landfill waste is generated. It's all good. I mean, that's just a little post here called Why iPhone. It's all, I found it on the UK website of Apple's UK instance. But I couldn't find it on Canada or in the US. I don't know if you guys have seen this particular post before. Oh.
0: I have not. And I also tried the same thing to see if it was
2: available in the yeah. US in Canada. Yeah, you get a you get a four oh four, yeah. Cool. So I guess that's it for the week. Uh, so Jaime, if people want to get touch with you over during the week, how can they do that? I'm on the internet as at Deb with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get touch with you.
1: Markr at Smapsoft.com. All
2: right, my name is Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A on the Torture Machine is the best way to find me. And until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You
1: can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: morning when I got up. Canada had no plans to ban the Boeing uh, 737 MAX 8 craft and uh, by the end of the day or by lunchtime actually had announced that they were what do you think
0: yeah this is a very complicated situation Um, I think starting out with you know feeling very sorry for the folks who were impacted by the Lion Air and uh, Ethiopian Airlines crashes but here's how I think it's going to shake out Um, so by this point I think every country in which the 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9 is flown has grounded them pending mm-hmm. some investigation and potentially a uh, software update from boeing so the the higher level thing of it is i'm guessing that the, from a rules and regulation standpoint probably nothing wrong was done by boeing from a rules and regulations standpoint right mm-hmm. boeing proposed this thing fa is like yep that's cool but i think that was still in the wrong in the sense of not accommodating for what is the uh, not the letter of the law but what is the rules and regulations and also normal user expectations and user habits in this case the pilots mm-hmm. so there is there is software that maintains stability of the aircraft because its center of weight and center of thrust is different between this 737 and other 737s it right uh, because of the larger engines the, um, the physically larger engines that had to be pushed out forward and up to be kept away from the ground because the 737 is, is very low to the ground landing gear wise and that higher um, thrust engine will tend especially being in the front will tend to pitch the nose up so there's this software called mcas and i forget what it stands for but it's supposed to read from this sensor to figure out what's the angle of attack for this aircraft and is it going into a stalling situation because without that software it would hypothetically be a whole lot easier to stall the aircraft Mm -hmm. Um, so it's working kind of similar to what happens with military modern military jet fighter who uh, they could not fly at all with um, or certainly not within their full envelope because they're not aerodynamically stable enough um, as just like wing devices. So this software tries to do this certain thing. There is, however, what appears to be this flaw or interesting situation where if one of the sensors ends up getting incorrect data, the airplane can decide, oh, I'm in a stalling situation. I better pitch down, which pitching Mm -hmm. down is normally like a way to gain speed. So that way you don't stall. So this is where I'm getting at the like, by rule, and regulations, Boeing was probably okay because they said, look, we don't need to make any documentation updates here because if this situation occurs where the software makes the wrong decision, the normal um, resolution of that on the pilot's checklist of like something bad has happened. How do I resolve this problem? They have it for everything that could happen on aircraft. The checklist at some point says, oh, uh, you've got runaway trim. So go ahead and flick these two switches and turn off the automation and go into manual piloting mode, right? I think mm-hmm. that was the the argument that Boeing was, was using is like, yeah, we don't need to update knowledge of this. And FAA presumably right. was like, yep, yeah, that's cool. Yep, yeah, pilots should follow procedure one, two, three, four, five. And if they do that, then they're going to flick the switches and then everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Where I think they're in the wrong probably is the practical reality of what pilots will end up doing and the things that they will end up relying on are quite different. So the reality before in other 730 air, 737 aircraft models was that um, pulling back on the yoke, the the flight stick, essentially, would also at some point disengage that sort of automation. But it doesn't do that on this aircraft because that automation is like super important, as I mentioned, to keep you from getting to a stalling situation. So I think they should have said, look, okay, even though pilots are supposed to follow this by the book, the practical reality is they don't. So we should design this in such a way that the user expectations are maintained by whatever means, even if that means you got to do documentation updates and let pilots know, Hey, that other stuff you used to, you know, you're trying to do happy days, like bang on the jukebox and it gets working. And yeah, that was not officially mm-hmm. supported. So <laughs> the new version does not do that. I think right. that's probably what they should have done. And, and that's where I think that, um, you know, uh, civil lawsuits, notwithstanding, I don't think there will be any sort of um, legal consequences for mm-hmm. Boeing as a manufacturing company. Cause I, I, I would guess when they look through everything, you'd be like, yeah, they, they followed everything that was supposed to happen. Now, going forward, Boeing is making some sort of software adjustment to the MCAS stabilization software, and I'm guessing they will probably issue documentation updates that like every pilot that would be like, you better know that the thing you used to do doesn't work. Follow the official procedure. When you get into this situation, follow procedure checklist mm-hmm. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and turn off the uh, automated trim handling.
2: Right, so this this kind of comes into what I was thinking about this today was, was the, the question of, when we get to automatic or, or autonomous view, Vehicles, right where they'll be driving down the street and you'll be just a passenger in them you know even if you're sitting in in quote-unquote the driver's seat right um what what happens if a an autonomous car ends up killing somebody running them over causing an accident whatever who's responsible for that is it the software developers who wrote the software that made that helped it make the decision it made in in, in injuring a person or the driver of the
1: vehicle like like you know what i mean like yeah it's a, it's a really good question and i don't think there's been legal Precedent set yet? Uh, I think it's probably reasonable to say that the software developer will not right. individually be held accountable because you know the they're working as an as an agent for the company and the company has sure. a responsibility to make sure that their work is safe. So right. so, but the company could certainly get sued. Right? Okay. Yeah, and be held liable. And this could be different in different countries. And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah well, so I, one of the shows that Jonathan likes to watch, and I've been watching it this year was The Good Place. I don't know if you watched The Good Place, Jaime. Only a handful yeah. of episodes. So so there's one, there's a trolley or a streetcar um, exercise where they, they go, th- I think they have an episode on it. And, and the idea is, imagine you're driving a, a streetcar and in front of you, and, and you've, you've, you've lost brakes. There's no way to stop the, the streetcar. And, you're dr- and in front of you, directly in front of you, are five people working on the track, right? And so you can turn to the right, like you can take the right track. But on the right track, you're going to hit your best friend. So which do you choose, right? Right. And of course, oh, they go okay. through. They, they play this this scenario out several times in in the on the TV show, which is, I guess, in some ways funny. But but that's the same sort of thing. Like which which is the right decision to make, right?
1: Yeah. Well, this this go this is much older than than the, the yeah. TV show, yeah. right? Of course, but it's is it is it, you know is it it it's you know similar kind of question is if you if you have uh you know if you if you go left you have a fifty percent chance of killing five people, or if you go right you have a hundred percent chance of killing one person. Which do you do? That that kind of thing. These are standard morality questions. And there's, there's kind of no, there's no right answer, right? There's no good answer. It's, just you know, it's lose lose no matter what. So depends on the person.
2: Yeah. So coming back to the to the plane, the, the Boeing plane. I mean, in from what I heard this morning on the news was both uh, takeoff situations were similar. They both started on a, a steep incline, and within like m- minutes of, of the takeoff, the flight crew was asking to return to the airport. And then, uh, sure enough, you know, next thing they did was crashed. Right. So I don't know if you heard any more than that. I me.
0: no, just the you know I- I- initial reports of it will take time to get the black boxes and blood right, recorder yeah. and see like I would guess that it probably is that situation where they didn't follow the procedure and that's what ended up in the the crashes um which is why I say like oh yeah like you know buy the book it's a totally fine engineering decision but I mm-hmm. think meeting people where they are at and what their expectations are is something that shouldn't be tossed aside necessarily uh, mm-hmm. I think in most cases that I've seen that sort of thing it's it's not with deadly consequences as public possibility but um even then i think just understanding like look this might be the perfect thing that you want and people by golly should do things a certain way but consider well what if they don't do it the way we expect then what are the consequences i think is still pretty valuable to do Um, and maybe you can migrate your way towards perfection over time but um, i think we shouldn't lose sight of like look even the procedure says this you got to do this other thing
2: Uh, right yeah well what can we say
0: yeah it's it's real sad and unfortunate it's real sad but i mean what other choices do the the regulatory agencies around the world have you have a yeah. brand spanking new model it's only got uh, a handful of uh holes out there in, uh, in existence and you have let's look at the context here so commercial aviation is so safe that every single crash is a pretty big news story like enough to show up on the evening sure. news. Yeah, um, yep. i don't know about your particular city or where people listening might be uh, kind of guessing that you don't see car crashes on the news unless it was a huge deal like yeah even, you know, a celebrity was found. killed or like a family of four, and, <laughs> you know, uh, there was a fireball explosion that people could see for, <laughs> like, it has to be pretty notable. Um, so that's, that's sort of the context where, it, where it's like, it's so unusual to have, you know, a single crash that having two for the same model type in such a short period of time, like sure. it seems like an easy decision, to, like just ground them for now and figure out yeah. what's going on before anything else happens.
2: So has the U S airlines grounded their planes? Yeah. So the, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: the the things that people might have seen during the day was um, they were given final dispensations to say, look, get it over to the maintenance bases. Don't fly any more uh, commercial stuff. So flights that were in route at the time that the the grounding occurred were allowed to continue to their um, destinations. But ones that were like on the ground about to take off were like, told nope, you got to abort. You got to go back to the gate, you <laughs> yeah. know, get the passengers off. And then fly. if you're not at a, an airport that has maintenance facilities, fly non, uh, non-passenger carrying. Routes to get over to your closest maintenance facility, uh, which has limitations on you know number of crew that can be on, number of flight segments that you can make, number of hours, that sort of thing. And there are airlines who um, are trying to accommodate the, the grounding by letting, you know, foregoing um, rebooking fees and other things that would normally call into play if you were to change right, your, right. your uh, flight plans.
2: Yeah, it sucks for the people who are, are booked to go on those flights. But uh, yeah, like this email I see from WestJet here says that 92% of their fleet is still operating as usual. Well, but you know, obviously, the, the few few planes that they had for of the Boeing Max style are not flying right now. I don't know why. You know what's what, what's weird is is I don't, I don't know if this is a what the deal is, um, but it could be like maybe the way my my wireless is laid out on my house. But when I use my computer or my iPhone at night when I'm down in the basement, um, it always jumps on like the 2.4 gigahertz network. You know, and so like I also just switch it over to the faster five gigahertz, right? It's very strange.
1: Do you have in your house? Do you see other people's networks, Wi-Fi networks?
2: Yeah, I do. I see there's a whole bunch of them in our neighborhood too. But I wonder, I wonder if it's because so I have a I have a base station up on the third floor, which acts as a repeater. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe the there's less obstructions between the basement and this particular base station because I, I, I just can't understand why it would always want to switch to the two. I can't, of course, because it's an Apple product. I can't can't turn off the two point four gigahertz, right?
1: Right. Well, my guess that the reason I asked if, the, if there are more networks in your house is yeah. uh, if there's a lot of traffic on those other networks and there's interference, it mm-hmm. will put you to the network that is that's got better reception. Yeah. So it might be that your neighbors are all on and it's causing you know it's causing uh, things to get congested. Yeah. I'm have to look, look fix, at the fix the
2: you know... oh, Sorry, and that was dumb. You still there? Yep. Sorry, I, I, I did I did a mark and I, I clicked on my my network settings. Well over on the show oh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> now, now it's called a, now that's it's a mark yeah yeah no i actually have i have a i have some wi-fi wi-fi apps actually one I have one app that'll actually give me like a signal strength in the area i forget what it's called though i got it a while ago when when i was back in the back in the days <laughs> wi-fi explorer maybe that's the one yeah wi-fi explorer is the one that'll give me like shows me the signal strengths and stuff like that yeah, one of the radios, of my five gigahertz is is like only thirty four percent right now, so maybe that's why. Mm. Oh, that maybe that maybe the one from upstairs. But it's funny because I also have a um, a bell box here, right? And um, mind you, this it's got two two channels as well. Hmm. Like the bell has Wi Fi, but I, I don't trust you know the third party Wi Fi. So I'd rather have one that I I know I manage. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my two my two gigahertz two point four gigahertz network is at ninety two percent. So it's probably that's probably the strongest signal it sees and jumps onto that one, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's yeah. probably what it is. But I mean, it could be it could be related to uh temperature you know the when, when the density of the air changes
2: yeah i don't know it's like this all, all awesome. year round i've noticed i'm not just, yeah no it's but been... at
1: night it's always colder than during the day no, that's
2: true yeah but i'm not home during the day right so who knows who knows the shadow knows Alrighty. righty uh, have you seen um captain marvel yet
0: no i'm not even sure if it opened in japan and at the same time and if it did i was yeah
2: but you've been in the states for like three or four days come on (laughs) i mean
0: sometimes they do these like you know broadly international sort of releases but i I don't know what happened with captain marvel if it did or not like for example i'm
1: I'm confused about something here so wasn't shazam captain marvel
0: yes that is (laughs) out of the dc universe and i think i think captain i think captain marvel the shazam you're talking about might have originated in some other smaller comics publisher that was then absorbed by dc and i forget if it I forget if that character predates the existence of the marvel company but i think definitely predates the captain marvel from uh from the marvel universe i think i might have that completely
2: utterly wrong yeah see i, I learned a long time ago not to question comic book um you know stuff mark because i because now that you mentioned that i probably remembered him as captain marvel too right yeah yeah i mean the character because shazam is the keyword that turns him into captain marvel right right okay so he,
0: he, it's right rather inconvenient to go around calling himself Shazam. Um, right. Even though I think most people, when they think of the name of the character, it's like, oh, Shazam, right? Because it's, it's the yeah. most iconic part of what he does.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I wonder though, if, if they're going to call him Captain Marvel in the movie, which is coming out soon. It's tricky because actually just to, <laughs> leave you with like the last
0: wtf captain marvel the latest iteration has been captain marvel but prior to that was for a very long time known as miss or miss marvel because there was a male captain marvel
2: yeah jonathan was saying that last week right yeah it's well you'll find out when you listen to the show (laughs) because it's it's complex and complicated for sure Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, try not to hurt ourselves thinking about that stuff what else is new what else is going on
0: college admissions are a
2: thing that people are talking about real
0: real talking about now
2: yeah people like like celebrities were were charged with charged and are out on bail today right because of this did you see that
1: yeah felicity uh hoffman, felicity
2: hoffman yeah and uh the, the, the lady from from full house. house yeah yeah Lori Laughlin. yeah i mean what does that do for the kids now that this is out right <laughs> they'll never independent up They'll never amount to anything now
0: yeah it's it's so weird to me because like you always knew that there was this how can it be legal but okay there's there's nobody fighting the grand plan of like all right if you want to let your you want to get somebody to bypass normal college admissions you have a very rich parent who makes this enormous donation and they probably name a building after you or something at the university but to have this whole industry around it where people were you know getting um unscrupulous doctors to make fake oh this person has a learning disorder therefore they should be allowed to give, be given more time on the sat or act tests or hey, why even go that route why don't we just have somebody else pretend to be them and who's really good at the test and have them take tests and oh mm-hmm. uh also student athletes get different um sort of attention and allowances so why don't we just pretend they're like a water polo person and they've never played the sport at all let's just make up these tournaments that they've played at or these awards that they've won and it's insane how many different people knew that this was wrong it, it it really sticks at you in terms of like these people should have some very serious life altering consequences. Cause I think it's more than just like, Oh, well, you know, this person didn't get into the school they wanted. These are being like, these sorts of schools are being used as like filters, right? Like you didn't get into Stanford. Sucks mm-hmm. to be you. This particular company only hires people from Stanford. Therefore you have been impacted by that. And I, and I think right. that right. whole like prestige and filtering thing is sort of why it was worth the hundreds of thousands of, sometimes millions of dollars of like, got to get my kid into this school sort of thing. Um, it's, it's absurd, absurd. And it, it, it's, I don't know, it just causes this revulsion in, in, in a person to be like, this is disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Lori uh, Laughlin's kid is probably the most hilarious one because they were like, I guess they're like a minor YouTube celebrity and oh, really? on Twitter of like, oh, I hate school, school sucks so much.
2: Really?
0: I really don't want to like, the only thing I'm concerned about is going to parties and what school is the best party school. And I was like, wow, really? Like, you already have all the advantages. Like, your parents can afford to pay for the best tutors and the best, you know, you don't have to worry about working a separate job or doing these other things. Um, you're not taking care of a sick parent. Like, it's super easy mode for you to get in as it is. Why Why do you need this additional nonsense thrown on top of it? It's crazy.
2: Yeah, but I mean, this, this can't just, like, again, this isn't just happening you know, now. This has probably been going on for a long while, right? It should have been outed.
1: Yeah, it must have been because they were saying the guy who was- coordinating it all and just built up this whole network over years and years and decades even of of knowing the right people at all the different schools to enable all this to happen and know all the coaches or whatever
0: right right yeah and they had all these pretty good answers for like hey wait a minute their school doesn't even have water polo oh well that's because they do it during the summer breaks and stuff and they they go over to italy and play in that league and i don't know every time the new stuff comes out about that i'm like oh my god i can't believe this is going on and and nobody was whistleblowing even because you know um they were uh, a jilted lover or some other you know oh this person was disgruntled because they were fired and, and they lost access to that bunny i can't believe it went this long before anybody finding out about it
2: yeah, yeah. so how was uh, japan homie it was great um <laughs> short
0: trip fun trip uh, i was nervous about my my talk because yeah. the walkthrough i did of it that morning just was an absolute disaster it was by far oh, really? the, the worst yeah. practice session i had i did not have a lot of comm- Confidence going into it um, oh. wasn't feeling on top of my game i was already actually as it turns out starting to get sick uh, oh yeah i hadn't even realized catching a, a you know travel cold i guess mm-hmm. um, but it went well during the actual recording and people mm. seemed to like it people came up to me afterwards and told me that they enjoyed it very much that they'd subscribe to the show which is always nice
2: hmm. yeah, well. so how many people subs- subscribed or a bunch of them or how many people subscribe to our show yeah so i was watching a plane just drive across the highway here but <laughs> speaking of planes so you said you people had subscribed or you met people who had subscribed?
0: Well, after listening to the, oh, the, the presentation. Oh, I yeah, see. yeah. Cool. As far as I know, I didn't see any fans of the show or, or nobody made themselves known to me from there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I, I hate to say it, but it sounds like an easy topic for you though, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly near and dear <laughs> to
0: my heart, right? <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's, you know, how do we help developers by podcasting? What are the, the best ways of doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, just chatting about stuff is something we've been doing for, I guess it'll be, it'll be almost five years now five years coming up in august yeah have to see this well you know there's maybe.
2: another there's another swift uh, conference just been announced here in toronto eh oh we had not heard about that yeah they don't have a i think they just have it's called swift uh what's it called swift they've stole my thunder because i was going to swift canada right but swift um conf.to i think they're asking for at the bottom they have um listings for conf, for speakers swift yeah oh i got too many dots in mind. use one dot don't use two like me downtown
0: toronto summer 29 what what does summer 2019 mean nothing <laughs> do you know any of these organizers
2: yeah well, i met them yesterday at the, at the um i know Brendan miller he worked with uh, greg on ns coder but uh the other two i don't know but they were at the the, the um, taco meetup yesterday talking about this i think it's a one day one day conference and they're, they're trying to make a, a, an affordable conference
0: cfp is open closes on june 30th <laughs>
2: Yeah, you could you could put a talk in about you know helping developers by podcasts. and you know, I could I could do uh, one about you know doing podcasts to help developers. <laughs> <laughs> totally different talk.
0: One day, one day I will have enough credibility out there to be invited at some point. Yeah, that's where I want to be. Like who who, who I I got to pay money to to get into the admissions to the Cool Kids Club that can invite <laughs> it to all these conferences. That's what I want to know. Yeah,
2: yeah. We uh, we talked to John Sundell on um, Saturday for Roundabout next week. Oh. It was interesting talk. He, he's like doing all. Kinds He's, like It It sounds like everything's branded on the same thing, but he just did them all separately. But he's got quite a few YouTube visitors and people subscribe to his mailing list and stuff like that. Or his website, I guess it is. You know, Swift by Sundell.
0: He seems like one of those guys who's doing like a million different things. And I'm always very impressed by how much they're...
2: Well, I guess that's it for the night. Indeed.
0: Indeed. All right. So call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you guys later. Talk to you right. later. Bye. 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 Bye.